The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the PFN Premier NFL Draft Podcast. Five for five, Ollie, the words. Wait, PFN Premier NFL Draft. Yeah, that is five. All right, I lost count for a second. Five for five. We got them all in order, so off to a good start. Uh, yeah, but we are here. We are back. It feels like it's been a while, but it hasn't. It's just that's just the way it is in draft season. You know, every day is a mile just watching prospects, you know, trying to get through the day, figuring out what's going on in the NFL and, and what's going to happen in late April. You know, who's going to come off the board first? You know, who's going to come off after? There are a ton of questions, a ton of, you know, interesting precipices to explore this time of year, Ali. And it's a fun time of year. I know you have been watching guys. I've been watching guys. It's been a whirlwind, but uh, it's the best time of year. You know, this is what we live for, man. So we're getting into it. I think the date today, Monday, March 28th. So getting close to the end of the month and soon it'll be April. It'll be draft month right here. You know, it feels like just a few days ago, I was getting those introductory scouting reports in the summer going. And then now all of a sudden it is right on the doorstep. So it's a, it's, it's the best time of year though. So Ali, before we get going, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. It's like you say, Monday, March 28th, while we're it recording. Is, it is Monday, March 28th, yes. And the NFL draft, 2022 NFL draft starts Thursday, April the 28th. We're exactly a month out. It's let's it's, go. It is. I feel like we need we need like an air horn sound effect for that. I feel I'm like a, we gotta we gotta invest in that. <laughs> I'm gonna bring a klaxon to every single recording from now on, and we're there just we gonna go. like cut it down, Burp. and uh, I'm sure we won't lose any any listeners. No, no, annoying klaxons. You might lose me, but you know that's not important. Just fifty percent of the podcast. You. I, I can't lose you, and you're an integral part of But yeah, no, I mean we need something. We need something to celebrate because, as you said, I mean it is almost here, and there's been a lot of work. That's been, you know, put in leading up to this moment. I know you're probably up to over 120 scouting reports. I'm up to over 120 scouting reports. Uh, I know James has put in a few as well. Uh, and then the editing, the the directing work from Cam. I mean, it's just been a, a well-oiled machine up to this point. And I got to express appreciation early on in this pod just for, you know, how this has gone on throughout this entire offseason, being able to cover all this from different angles at different events. You know, it's really been a, a pleasure to bring the content to everyone out there uh, and, you know, to provide our analysis and appreciate everyone being involved and, and, and interactive on Twitter. That's always a fun thing, uh, not just to be able to provide our analysis, but just to be able to talk with you guys, and get to know everyone. So it, it's a fun time uh, and I'm, I'm always appreciative. But Ali, uh, we we're going to open it up today. I know we were talking about what do we want to do, as we always do before the podcast, just kind of, do we want to wing it this time? Nah, we'll try something else. But, you know, uh, something that, and I feel like this is a good time to do this with a month to go, right before you, we're not in the home stretch yet, but we're starting to gear up for it. And I feel like this is a good opportunity. I know we talked about it a little bit a few podcasts ago, but, you know, talking about draft philosophy, you know, and not just, you know, the analysis, but the work that goes in behind it. And I know, I've been working on a grading scale. I know you've got your own philosophy behind it too. So I feel like this is a good opportunity to open up about that stuff. If we have time at the end, everyone, we will talk about some prospects that we've been watching recently. But for now, what we're going to do unscripted, just talk about our draft philosophy a little bit. And uh, Ali, I will start with you. Is there a question you would like to posit to me or a a little forward you'd like to add in here? The floor is yours, my friend. (laughs) I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to trying through this today, actually, because we spent so long talking about Oh, um, you know, prospects and rankings and big boards. And um, it's nice to have this opportunity to talk about um, not just how we see prospects in terms of what they can do on the, the, what they've been able to do through their college career, but also how we look at translating that to the NFL level and what we're looking for when we're scouting, what we're looking for in terms of, um player um projection to the nfl level and there's so much that goes into it there's so many different um ways of looking at this there's so many different ways of doing this so many you know this this is a it's a, it's a conversation that you see almost frequently i think it was jim Nagy that boy up um on mm-hmm. on twitter um within this draft cycle of you know, we talk about um, round grades for players. Oh, what round is this player going to go in the NFL draft? And, and 
how far into the draft will day one, day two, day three. But really, that's that's kind of um, it's only one way of looking at it, you know. And what you're really looking to do, the real proof of the pudding, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. Is is at this moment in time, how do you project that this player, um, this prospect, what do you project their role in the NFL to be? And then three, four years down the line within the draft cycle, you can come back and go, well, I thought this guy was going to be a instant impact kind of kind of kid, make a, a pro bowl or all pro um, potentially within the first four years of his career. Maybe he didn't achieve those. And that's when you can go back and revisit your process and kind of hone and uh, tune in. And, you know, we're both very, um, very much in the infancy of that process, you know, as, as evaluators, this is, you know, not something that we've been doing for years and years. So we, we're always learning. We're always um, trying to fine-tune that approach and fine-tune our process. Um, and having conversations like this and going through this this process together and with everyone that's listening and, and all the, the people, you know, you've referenced the interactions that we have on Twitter. I think it's a great way of being able to express, have those chats and have those discussions about, how we evaluate, how we grade. Grades are a terrible word because it puts a number evaluation on it. You might not use a number evaluation system. Um, you might not use a round projection. You might, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into it. And we'll talk a little bit about, about how I look at that. But I'm really interested in talking to you. You've been really, I've always been impressed by how you go about um, talking about your process on, on social media. And obviously in the recent, week or so you've you've talked um or shown um your audience uh, the the grading scale that you've been working on particularly uh, for wide receivers and cornerbacks i'm really interested to talk about and hear the how that um grading scales um evolved how it's come about how it's evolved as you've gone through the process especially with this 2022 nfl draft class which is kind of a, a guinea pig class for the grading scale this is the first year of of really putting this into into action with a view to really integrate it into the 2023 process so I'm, I'm i'm really excited to talk about that process that, that you brought into play with this draft cycle yeah and i think you know you you brought up some good points there's one thing that i really want to touch on and i think that's the the freedom of outcomes you know like there that's one thing that i've that's one reason I've always tried to stray away from round grades. And this was even before I started the grading, obviously with the numer numerical grades. And I'm finding this now is that, you know, as I add more and more to the system, you know, there are kind of round ranges that you see guys come in like, all right, I had the idea that this guy was probably around two to three guy. And he's kind of in that range based on the grades, based on the sample. Right. But I never want to box the guy into a certain round. For me personally now uh, again the, the onus is not on me to select the player right so i guess there's not as much pressure there if you're an nfl team then maybe you do want to do that to make it clear you know what type of asset would we spend on this guy where where's the line where it's like all right we're not going that high for this guy so i could definitely see nfl teams seeing it differently for me personally and i feel like part of it is you know, part of it differs because of our audience as well. Like we're not just presenting this to our coaches or general managers, right? Like we don't have that, you know, structure. It's just us, you know, and, and it's really just us trying to sift through it. So we're presenting it to our audience. If, if I'm presenting my grading scale to you, you know, uh, it, it's been fun to put it together because what I, my methodology for it was ideally and earlier on in my career, I, I didn't want to make a grading scale. And I, earlier on is like two years ago, right? When I was just getting started, even one year, I wanted to keep it as subjective as possible because the range of outcomes is so wide. And because there's so many different opinions from so many different people, you know, like how I explain the prospects traits to you may mean something else to someone else. You know, like everyone weighs these traits differently. But this cycle, I was thinking to myself and I was like, you know, okay, obviously grading scales have their flaws. They can't take in everything. But ideally, if I was to weigh each trait for a given position by the importance that I put on that trait, you know, and then assign numerical grades based on watching the tape. And you, you can't just glance at the tape. You actually have to watch and really try to get an accurate representation of what that trait exhibits on tape. 
you know, it's not just like throwing numbers at a wall. You have to really, really scrutinize the number that you provide because that's the number that calculates the grade for that prospect. But if you do that, if you make an honest attempt at calculating that grade, and if you correctly weigh your preferences trait wise, then ideally, ideally you can get a, a accurate representation of the board for you. You know, it, so for me personally, looking at that, that was how I approached it. Um, now, obviously, the reason I don't have round grades is kind of circling all the way back is because, you know, let's say look at Andrew Booth. All right. I gave him very good grades. I gave him elite grades for explosiveness, agility, twitch, you know, ball skills, run support. Uh, but the size score was under seven because he is, you know, he's he's above average for sure. But again, not elite size wise, a 31 and a half inch arms thing is just over average. So let's say you prefer six two corners. You prefer six two corners with like 33 inch arms. You know, maybe Andrew Booth falls just below that size profile for you. Now, obviously, this isn't going to be the case usually because looking at his profile as a whole, you know, you can see that he compensates very well. Uh, with his other traits and he's not that small he's above average in size anyway but just providing an example you know like everyone has different preferences for players uh you know if you're an edge rusher guy you know maybe you like those guys who are explosive and bendy uh but if you if you're a person who likes power rushers you know like maybe there's a guy who scores with a six in explosiveness but a 9.5 in power maybe you like that person better because they mesh with your preferences more. So I feel like with us, we're not general managers. We're not scouts. We are, you know, draft writers, you know, at the end of the day. Now, I, I know, Ali, that you hold yourself accountable to a high standard, and I hold myself to that high standard as well. So we try to, you know, emulate that to the best of our ability. But at the end of the day, we are presenting these findings to our readers who may see it differently than we do based on how we present the trades. So I try to maintain that flexibility with it while also providing a valuation that um can accurately convey where a prospect should go you know ideally so it, it's really interesting to to find that balance you know like what is this guy's grade and also keeping it open-ended so i try to do that with the with the categories and the weights and stuff like that but uh, it's been a fun process and i've said this a ton of times but it's definitely not finalized right now this is kind of the draft process that we're really just kind of putting it together and hopefully you know, based on the results of the scouting process, you know, see how accurate we are and then we can go on and, you know, apply our findings to the 2023 cycle and keep the keep the cycle going beyond that. So it, it's a it's a fun process. But ultimately, you know, I feel like quantifying your draft analysis, if you can do it, uh, it can really take you to the next step. So that, that's something that I'm exploring. Still not there yet, but uh, the early results have been promising, but it doesn't mean anything until they hit the field. Yeah, I think um, bringing up Andrew Booth as, as an example of him that is, is a great example. Because like you say, he doesn't maybe meet the size requisite for, for some NFL teams. Um, even, you know, within um, the online community of scouts, you know, twi draft Twitter as is it, is it so often gets yeah, called. I think, uh, I think Derek, Derek Stingley would be an even better example. Like his 35, 30 inch and five eighths arms are, I think, in the 25th percentile or 20th. So that's a better example, right? But yeah, there are thresholds based on trades. Yeah. And, and, for, and for size as well, you know, irrespective of, of arm length, some NFL teams have very specific um, thresholds and, and requisites for actual physical height of a prospect. Um, and you look at a guy like Andrew Booth, this is this is kind of why I thought Andrew Booth was a, such a great example because he's not as tall as a Kyrie Elam or a, an Ahmad Gardner. Um, but his ability um, to make a play on the ball based on his explosive vertical athleticism, you know, we, we've said it before on this podcast, uh, at least I think it was on this podcast, do so many shows now, it's, it's hard to keep track. Um that you know, Andrew Booth will have uh, has had some of the most spectacular um, pass breakups and interceptions in college football in the past two or three years. Not because he's six foot tall and's got thirty three and you know inch arms. It's because he's such an explosive vertical athlete that he can go up and make a play at the highest point of of wherever you put the ball. Um, so a, a sheer number based just on size alone doesn't bring that into into effect and i think like like you say it is really important to be able to quantify your analysis 
Um, but I think you also bring up a great point in terms of what we are doing um, with the the audience that we have, what we're scout, who we're scouting for. Um, you know, you mentioned we're not presenting these scouting reports to NFL teams. We're not presenting them to um, a general manager somewhere and going, you need to select this guy because of this. So I'm always conscious when I'm compiling a, a scouting report of being able to make it relatable to anyone that might read it. Now, that might be someone who, um, you know, from a, a an NFL team, you know, might be, might see the, the the content that we're putting out there and read it. But also the man in the street who's barely watches, uh, barely, you know, scratching the surface of his NFL knowledge, but wants to know who his team might select in the, the 2022 NFL draft can hopefully come and, and read the scouting reports that, that we put out and be able to relate to the words that are written within those in terms of what this prospect can do on the football field. Um, so it, it's a fine line between being able to um, have a, almost a horses for courses approach. So you need to be able to relate and make your content and your scouting report relatable to anyone that might be reading it. So you have got to have, you know, some of the um, more technical um, specifics um, within that scouting report, um, but also have to be able to, to make it readable and understandable for, for someone who might not have the um, the in-depth knowledge. Um, and I've, I've always, I've always had the, um, the mindset of being a writer before a scout. So I like to be able to, um, use language to um, greatly um, portray what it is that I'm seeing uh, and try and help you know portray that to, to anyone else who might be reading the um, reading the report and that's why rather than a, a number grading system which might not be uh, entirely relatable to all audiences there's always a summation um, in there of what this player's role will be at the next level potentially. So, you know, you can go anywhere from a guy that will be an instant impact guy, you know, and we're looking at day one players. And, and again, not putting a specific round grade um, or round opinion even on, on players. But, you know, when you're talking about a guy that's going to make an instant impact in the NFL, you are looking predominantly at, at first round prospects. And then, you know, looking at guys with high high potential at the next level, then developmental potential role players, practice squad potential, the whole gamut of that. We try and get, well, I certainly try and get that within my um, scouting report process, but rather than in a, a number grade, have it in a, in a written format that's um, hopefully easy easy for people to understand. But I think in terms of a, a number grade, like the, the what you've been working on, it, it's fantastic because it also helps take away any bias that you have because once you put the num- once you study the film and you put the numbers in there and it gives you your grade, that's where you're at on that player. And you, you can't allow any biases that you may have picked up either personally, just from, you know, it, it's quite hard sometimes to be subjective about a player when you read their backstory, for example. Um, but having a number grading system kind of removes that, uh, that bias. And, you know, it removes the bias that you might get from outside influencers. You know, we the echo chamber is something that's you know talked about um, consistently um, within this process. You know, you hear someone say this about a player, and all of a sudden you're dropping him down your board just based on what you're hearing. And again, having a number based system like the one that you're working on in really helps take away from that as well. I think. Yeah, and I think um, the one thing about it is like it's not just the number system. Like you do, I think it provides a good framework to do that but you do have to each time you start watching the tape you have to kind of mentally reset you know like i was watching cave on Thibodeau earlier today i might be a tad bit lower on him in the consensus i had him as a top three prospect he might fall a little bit out of that now you know i think um he'll probably still be in my top 15 top top 12 for sure uh i haven't i don't have a, a big enough sample size yet to figure out where he's gonna fall but you know watching the tape there's some things that you see and I'm not talking about the motor. I think the motor is good. 
Um, but there are some things that you see that would drop him down a little bit. Like, the, uh, for example, I don't think the bend is elite. You know, I do think he has some ankle flexion for sure, but his hips can be a little bit stiff at the apex. He doesn't always sustain that acceleration through the corner. You know, he's super explosive. I mean, rare explosiveness. Like, this guy is almost generational in that sense, I think. But, you know, it, once he gets locked up, it's a little hard for him to sustain that. So I'm looking at that. That's going to bump him down a little bit there. He still has a good grade there but not quite elite, not quite that, you know, like top five blue chip, you know, rank where people have him. So I think, you know, with that, though, you know, every time it's, it was something like if I did see something like that or the hands too, the hands don't always strike cleanly, uh, can be can improve a little bit there. But, you know, looking at my scores, I'm like, should I be higher here? Because everyone else is higher here. That That's a no go. You can't do that. You know, and ultimately you might you might be wrong. Maybe you were supposed to be higher on that guy. But at the end of the day, you know, you write what you see and what you think, because if you're right, then boom, you, you, you stuck to your compass and you were able to, you know, get through that and get the evaluation right. And you learn what you can stick to in the future. If you got it wrong, then you can circle back, see what you missed and boom, you can improve your process. So I think it's a win win if you stick to your guns, you know, if you stick to what you're seeing. That's a win-win. If you if you go with the if you go with the consensus, if you if you kind of bend your evaluation to that, then that's how you might you know push off growth from further down the road. So it's one of those things you got to stay disciplined, and that's the biggest thing. I think the, the number grade provides a really good framework to work within that, but you have to stay disciplined. And so for me, that's been a tough thing for me. It's tough for everybody, you know, working in a in a human system like this, yeah, it's going to be flawed, but you got to stick to it. Um, so, so that's been a fun part of it. And I always, you know, going back to the, the, um, freedom of outcomes thing, like the, the round grade flexibility, which I, one thing I really like about the scale that I'm working on is that it kind of pieces together each trait separately. Right. So you'll see Tariq Woolen, for example, uh, he's got, you know, fluidity, explosiveness. He's got that size score, which is a 10 because he's like 6'4", 205 with 33 and 5 eighths arms. I mean, this guy is huge. So he's going to have generational size for a corner, no doubt. Uh, but then he's got elite explosiveness and speed. And yet he fell within the, the day two range for me. You know, you might be looking at that and say, you know, well, hey, he's got the size. He's got the traits. I want to get this guy at the tail end of round one and develop him. You know, and that's it's not for me to say that you're not that you're wrong because at the end of the day maybe someone picks him in round one and he goes on to be an elite player right so it's one of those things i i don't know what the outcomes are going to be so it's not my place to tell you where you should or shouldn't have a guy you know i think there's there's healthy ranges for that but at the same time you know there is some flexibility and it's all subjective so there's no sense in you know tr entrenching yourself and arguing about it uh when it, it's really it's really up to what you see it's really up to whose set of eyes it is right so that's the one thing I love about it. But Ali, you've put me on the spot long enough here. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, we know you, you don't have a number scale. And I respect that because I didn't have one for a little bit. And I can see why you wouldn't have one. Because in the same sense where, you know, it does allow you to quantify what you're seeing and kind of stick to your, you know, stick to what you see and kind of negate bias a little bit. It can also be really hard to quantify everything in draft evaluation. That's one thing that I've been struggling with early on with this scale is that things like injury history, you know, character off the field, you know, these are, you know, passion. These are things that you really can't quantify uh, with a numerical scale. And so I think, you know, at the same time, like maybe if you can at least quantify what's on the field, that gives you a, a little bit of a leg up. But at the same time, you're never going to get the full picture with the number. And I, I feel like that's something that you've kind of stuck to to kind of keep that alternate flexibility can you tell me, because I feel like I've never asked you this, like why why you, you've you kind of stuck to the writing, just the writing in a sense, because it is very valuable, uh, you know, extrapolating scheme fits and writing. You know, that's something that we both try to do in our articles. But, you know, what what's your philosophy behind sticking with that and kind of just trying to maximize your evaluation through that lens? Um, it's, it's kind of a double edged sword really so the 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 main part of it is um just the nature of how i've evolved um from um just just being um a writer of the of the sport you know of college football and the nfl so i've evolved from writing just Oh, this is what happened on a Friday night or a Saturday night game to 
as my understanding of the sport and and my role within the media landscape, I guess is the is the best way to put it. I can't think of a, of a better way to put it. Has has changed. That's kind of it's just been an evolution of where I've where I started from. I guess is probably the best way to put it. So I've always found it easier to write down what I see. You know, every we joke about it. I've got two, three, four reams of paper in a drawer right beside me as we're talking with handwritten notes. Everything that I do is is handwritten. Um, and then That's obviously school. My goodness. <laughs> I, but I love it. Like every everything that um everything that you that you see on the field and everything that you can find out off the field are all on a um a piece of paper with different categories for various different aspects of a player's career and then the the pros and the cons the goods and the bads of what they actually do on the field and um, so it's you know it's it's the the scouting reports are just a an evolution of that in terms of just being able to vocalize with words um what i see on the field from a from a prospect um so that was that's the first element of it the second element of it is you know, I, I hold my hands up and this is something we talk about being honest and open and transparent as part of our processes. Um, prior to, to doing the Scouting Academy last uh, August, September time, I never had any experience of grading scales in terms of um, actual access to a, to a scale itself and to how you would even go about composing your own scale. I mean, like I said, just, I mean, you know, almost in awe of, of the scale that you've put together is, um, I know the time and the, the effort and and what's gone into that. So, uh, but from, from my perspective, I'm very much in the infancy of, um, of dealing with scales like that to put a numerical grade on things. And so certainly this, this draft cycle and, and most likely next draft cycle, I won't carry a, a numerical grade um, on the prospects, just a, a vocalization of where I see each individual's prospect, um, how, how I see their role at the next level. And there, there will be some, with, you know, there will be within those reports a, um, a potential selection round or a day, just because, as you, you've said before, you kind of, your overall grade lends itself to um a potential outcome in terms of, of what it actually looks like in terms of a, a round or a day so you know you, you kind of like to give a a level of expectation for the people that are, are reading you know it comes back to your audience our audience want to know what, what day or round that they can expect to see these prospects come off the board and, and rightly or wrongly that will never go away so you've always got to have some element of that within it as well and um, i feel like um but yeah in the future hopefully we can we can i'll work towards putting a numerical grade on that as well but i always think i try and put the 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 words out there because that's just the very nature of of, of why i am I'm a, I'm a writer at the end of the day well you can't use my scale that one's mine no i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> uh yeah no i mean you're you're absolutely right i feel you brought up a really important point which is you know whatever you do numerical scale scale or scale what the heck man i don't even know what's going on today i can't talk today uh but yeah whatever you use a numerical scale or a you know just subjective evaluation just straight up words the the most important thing is to always tie it i i like to the the phrase i like to use is tie the knot or tie the bow right if you're a writer uh, you know what this is just a conclusion you know just don't don't throw a bunch of analysis at someone and then just leave it like that you know like like ex extrapolate and summate that analysis you know if you're writing up a, a player's traits then get a paragraph at the end and be like hey so here's the here's the scoop here's what we got you know this is what he does well this is what he does poorly and this is probably how he projects best or you know if you're doing numerical grades the one thing that I, another thing that i do like about the uh, numerical grades is that you can kind of extrapolate from the numbers and see how they fit. Like uh, an example that I provided in my last um, scouting notebook was Ahmad Gardner. Uh, he had a very good score. Uh, he was really good in explosiveness, really, really good size score. Not surprising, right? I mean, the guy's huge, uh, but then also good ball skills, instincts, stuff like that. Uh, but hip fluidity was his lowest score. I think he had a six. So, you know, he's, I think he's a little bit above average there. 
but still not great, not elite, not, you know, super consistent. He can get locked up at times. And a, a lot of times with taller corners, that's just what's going to happen. Tariq Woolen has a, a similar issue. Now, I think Tariq Woolen did a better job this season compared to last season, lowering in his stance. But that is a thing that longer corners are going to run into, you know, more often than smaller corners. So looking at that, you can see that fluidity number that it is a little bit smaller with with Ahmad Gardner and then go back to, well, he's explosive. He processes really well. He's a playmaker. Uh, maybe he fits better in zone dominant schemes like cover three, you know, where you can you know drop back, press bail, you know, just play in space and, you know, react to things, you know. So one of those, especially with the, the man technique, too, he can still improve there, you know, with his jam timing, stuff like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like whatever you're doing, make sure that you extrapolate, make sure you go go the next step further. Um, and really tie the bow or tie the knot, whatever, just whatever word you want, not bow. I don't care. Just make sure that you finish it out. Make sure you close the lid on that thing. I'm using all the analogies today. I'm sorry, Ali. There's going to be nothing <laughs> left, but you know, that that's the, if, if, if there's one lesson that you can take away from this, if you're an aspiring writer, I don't, I don't really know who we're talking to anymore. We're just talking to everybody, but you know, that's the one thing. And that's something that we both try to do is really, um, you know, take that next step and, you know, summarize what we're thinking. You know, because we can throw a bunch of stuff at you, uh, but if we can make it more digestible at the end of the day, that's what really gets the analysis across. So with that, Ali, I mean, I think we've talked about draft philosophy for quite a long time. I think we're we got like 10 minutes left or so. So let's get into some actual draft analysis. Right. We've been we've been kind of putting word salad into this thing for a half hour. But let's let's talk about some draft guys. I know you were um, doing some scouting reports today. I was inputting some numbers for for my scale. Uh, so I'll just go to you, man. I mean, scouting reports today. What were you seeing? What were you? Who were you watching first off? And anything stand out to you that you feel like you want to get on the show? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the one thing before we get onto the actual prospects analysis, you know, we talked about draft philosophy. Let's not forget that it works. You know, there's plenty more that goes into draft philosophy as well in terms of when you're actually that team on the clock. You know, things like best player available versus positional need. And um, there's so much that goes into that that we could talk about for, for hours and hours and end, especially, you know, both of us, you put, you put together a seven round mock every month and I put together a four round mock. And uh, I think one day we'll have to have a chat about the philosophy that goes into putting those things together. Cause you know, I'm really intrigued to see where your mindset. Where that, that sounds like a thing that we should do closer to the draft because I love that idea because, you know, that's like you said, that's a problem. That's a proposition that teams deal with every year, you know, BPA or needs. So I am. Yeah, well, let's set that on the calendar. I got I got to get a calendar first. But once I get a calendar, <laughs> I will mark it down. We will mark it down. Everything's digital now, man. You just get a digital calendar. We'll be, we'll be all good. Hey, let's Dude, talk it's about... weird. Like I'm, 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 I am. I was born in the digital era, and I am not very tech savvy. I, I can tell you <laughs> that right now. I am not very tech. Like Ali knows every, uh, literally every podcast. I have my earbuds plugged into my computer when I need to have them plugged into my mic, so I can actually hear what's going on. And so it takes me like ten seconds every time. I gotta hold the microphone up to the like. Hold on, Ali. One second. I am not tech fluent. Okay, just let me do my thing. It's bad, but enough of my rambling. Well, uh, I don't even know what you were saying, but continue. I I'm gonna step away from the mic now. <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk a little bit about some of the guys I've been watching today. So um, let's talk about James Mitchell, the tight end out of Virginia Tech, because James Mitchell was a guy that I really liked coming into the season. Um, had his most productive year of his career in 2020. And put up an incredible performance against UNC um, in 2020, and started the season um, with a you know not incredible. That's probably the wrong way to put it. But 11 yard score against UNC last year, where he had 103 career eight yards eight, and a touchdown, plus a rushing touchdown against UNC. So he came into this season bit of a weight of expectation. Um, had that TD um, as the Virginia Tech beat. North Carolina to open the 2021 season, but then he got injured against um, Middle Tennessee State, torn ACL that required surgery. Even though Virginia Tech tried to play it down to start with, kind of said, "Oh, they held him out of the game as a precaution," but torn ACL that required surgery. It's meant that he's not been able to work out at the NFL Combine. Uh, he didn't work out at the Virginia Tech Pro Day either, just um, only to do the bench press where he put up 18 reps at the Virginia Tech Pro Day. 
Um, so he's got a cloudy um, outlook at this moment in time, just because there's some uncertainty as to how he'll recover. You know, we've talked about it on this podcast with David Ajabo and Jameson Williams. We're a few months down the line now from James Mitchell's injury, and he's still not fully working out. Doing a little bit of um, light training, doing a little bit of light drill work, um, route running work and things like that. So there is a little bit of a cloudiness over his um, his long-term projection, but he's a guy that I really like in terms of his ability as a pass catcher. Um, red zone threat at 6'4", just around 250 pounds. Decent arm length. We've talked about arm length a lot on this podcast, Thirty-two and just under 33-inch arms. Decent red zone threat, seeing um, exposure in line, out of slot, in motion. Got five career rushing touchdowns um, as well. So he's, he's kind of a little bit of a guy who's um, experienced in many different facets of playing the tight end position, but really does his best work as a pass catcher, really reliable, strong hands, can pretty much catch anything. And for a big guy, um, that's impressive. He really does showcase excellent body control, um, really good ball tracking. He really adjusts himself well to the ball. Um and he has got the ability to add a little bit of yardage after the catch as well. A couple of games that I watched him in today, including that UNC game, can kind of stop on a dime, cut, carry on, a little bit of yardage, drags guys down the field with him. So he's quite physical in that respect. Um, but for a guy who has seen a lot of um, a lot of snaps in line um, as a blocker, there's still a little bit of technical way to do there. Still a little bit off with his hand timing. Still a little bit off with his hand placement isn't as strong and physical as a blocker as um as maybe a, like a, a Trey McBride in this class who I think is one of the, the most physical sort of nasty blockers at the tight end position. Um even though he displays some stellar athleticism, I think there's still work to do there as well. He can be inconsistent as a route runner, doesn't always um break out of his roots tightly. Um, doesn't always run his routes to full speed as well, which, you know, for a kid who has got decent speed for his size, um, that's kind of something you want to see him being consistently aggressive and consistently playing at top speed um, at the next level. So he's, he's a little bit difficult to, to project at the moment um, to the NFL level just because of that injury history. You want to see how he... Um, how he bounces back from that, but there's no doubt that in terms of his pass catching ability, he's an NFL caliber talent um, with sort of potential um, to, to play as a as a backup sort of tight end two in the NFL for a, for a long time if he returns to full health. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, and by the way, James Mitchell, if if everyone, if you are looking for the scouting report, it's going to be up soon. I know Ali wrote it up today. Um, I remember watching him, and like you said, the athleticism and then the physicality kind of combined. Those two elements really kind of brought me to him. It was like, all right, this guy's got something here. Uh, obviously, we want to see how the injuries play out, but the upside is there. Um, it's kind of a deep tight end class. That's the thing, though. Like, uh, can he sneak into day three? I feel like the injury concerns. We've seen NFL teams can be really touchy when it comes to those, so we will see where he falls. And a deep tight end class might mean mid to late day three, but – at the end of the day, you could get a steal at that point. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, a guy that I watched recently and I wanted to bring up, um, and we can like go back and forth for a little bit before we call it, but uh, Chase Lucas, Arizona State. I was doing the corners. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that um, the grading scale that I finalized, I really have a strong grasp of the corners and the wide receivers. I have linebackers too. I've only graded one linebacker so far, so I got to get I got to get on that. Um and then today I added edge with Kayvon Thibodeau. Going to work on Aiden Hutchinson after. But um, corner and receiver right now are the ones that I'm most comfortable with. So I, I, I saw Chase Lucas, Arizona State, experienced corner, uh, was a defensive leader for them. And then at the combine, he comes in and runs a 4-4-8, 39-inch vertical, 128-inch broad. Uh, so really, really good at athletic numbers. So I, I moved this guy near the top of my list. I was like, all right, I want to watch this guy. And I was impressed, not going to lie. Uh, he ended up getting on my scale a 7.4175, uh, which, and I think I lowered it a little bit uh, after I did some reevaluating, but still like 739 or something like that. So, which is a good grade. You know, I think the the ranges that I've been getting for, from this grading scale 
and obviously there's a little bit of flexibility, right? Like what we talked about earlier. Like, let's say there's a guy who scores a 7.25, which is probably like early day three, but he has really, really good athletic numbers. Maybe you'd be willing to take him on day two uh, to let him develop, right? So who, where people are willing to take certain players changes from player to player. So that's why I try to avoid the succinct round grades. But Chase Lucas, that 7.4 around there is like, you know, if I had to do round ranges right now, it would be late day two, early day three, uh, which is safely in the draftable range uh, i'm a big fan of the guy's upside uh definitely has that you know that um that toughness that competitive fire that you look for from your corners i love that about him the explosiveness really checks out on tape this guy has closing speed for days uh, but not just that too you know he can stay in phase he can flip his hips really easily and then accelerate through that and he's got great ball skills too i mean this guy can get inside leverage on those slants he can bat the ball down downfield he can track it he can elevate um, and then he's pretty physical as well. He's got good twitch. You know, I would like to see, especially in run support, doesn't always show up there. And that kind of shows up with the with the weight. He only weighed in at like 180 at the combine. And he's 5'11", 1 fourth with 32 inch arms almost. So he's got good length. He's got good, you know, general, a good general frame, but he's lighter. And that could hurt him against more physical NFL wide receivers. So I'm curious to see how he translates there. But you look at the athleticism. It's all there. I mean, the explosiveness, he's got good enough long speed. He's got great agility. Uh, and then the hip fluidity as well can really flip his hips and stay in phase and accelerate through those transitions. And then he's got the playmaking ability as well. So Chase Lucas is a guy that I would keep my eye on because I think, you know, especially after the NFL combine, I think the lowest he goes, maybe round five, round six, but I would take him willingly. I would take him in round four, uh, maybe round three. If he's a really good scheme fit, I think right now, what I would do, because there are some lapses with processing at times, I think in man is where he can really keep things in front of him uh, and use that hit fluidity, that explosiveness, that burst out of his breaks uh, to stick with guys. And again, he's pretty competitive, even though he's a little bit lighter. He's, he plays higher than his frame, I think, and he has the ball skills to make an impact at the catch point. So I would keep him in man heavy schemes to start out, but he does have the explosiveness to you know close ground and zone. Uh, and, and really kind of provide an impact there as well. So I think you're looking at a potential future starter. Again, would like him to add more to his frame, but the explosiveness is something that I love with the corner position. And if you can flip your hips and stay in phase and be fluid, uh, then that just kind of adds, that kind of sweetens the pot. So Chase Lucas, I'm a fan. Uh, not sure where he's going to fall in for me, maybe in the top 125, but he's a player. And especially in the deep corner class, he could end up being a steal. So I'm a fan of his. Yeah, Arizona State have got quite a few dogs in that backfield, man. You think yeah. about, um, obviously, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones and Evan Fields. They've got um, a few guys, and Arizona State um, not had the the greatest um, college football season, but they've got a, a lot of um, really talented players in this class. And, you know, a, a case of the Pac-12 quite frequently gets... Um, Overlooked probably the wrong word when we're talking about a guy in cave on Thibodeau who is at the top of a lot of people's boards. But you know, some of the, the prospects that aren't in that quite in that same line, like we saw it when Christian McCaffrey got overlooked for the, the Heisman Award when he was at Stanford. Pac 12 kind of tends to get overlooked a lot. And you look at the, the defensive backfield um for Arizona State, and then you look at on offense, Rashad White, who is one of my favorite running backs in this class, he doesn't get a lot of hype, and um, but he's starting to quietly assert himself on this running back class as well. And then there's, I'm going to finish up with Kellen Deesh, the offensive tackle out of Arizona State, because he is a guy who um, is kind of a late bloomer, I guess is probably the best way to put it in this 2022 NFL draft offensive tackle class, because you know, he's a kid who played at Texas A&M or didn't play at Texas A&M is probably the better way of putting it. He was there for four years, very much a, depth piece for the Aggies um, redshirt in 2016 made just one appearance in 2017 nine games 2018 is a rotational piece same again in 2019 depth, uh, depth piece rotational piece 12 games transferred out to Arizona State where he started 16 games in the past two seasons and obviously 2020 was a um, a shortened season particularly for, for Arizona State in the Pac-12 Um but is as a starter for Arizona State, he started to gain a little bit of traction. Then he went to the Shrine Bowl and put some um, 
eye-opening performances in during practice on the field. And then he went to the NFL Combine. Uh, let me just read these numbers out to you. So he finished second in the 20-yard short with a 4.43. This is of all offensive linemen. So this is tackles and off of interior offensive linemen. So second in the 20-yard short. Second in the 40-yard dash with a 4.89 second 40-yard dash. And then third in the vertical with a 32 and a half inch vertical jump. So impressive numbers in terms of in there, you've got speed, agility, and explosion. Um, some of the drills that most of those things. Now, the broad jump wasn't great. The three cone wasn't great. Um, and then you flip on the tape and watch um, Kellen Deachin. The numbers leap out from on the tape, if that makes sense. This is a kid who is super athletic as an offensive tackle. He's just over six foot seven just over 300 pounds so he's slender i think is the best way of putting it he's not massively built like a, a trevor penning but he's slender like a charles cross um in the in terms of comparison to his contemporaries in this class and um, he's extremely athletic gets out really well to the second level good understanding of of how to use leverage and angles and once he gets a good grip um he's able to manipulate people and walk them um, especially in the run game. So this is a kid who you're looking at as a potential. If you've got um, if you've a run-focused, run-heavy NFL team, you're looking at a guy like Kellen Deese could come in and, and have your running back run behind him and he's going to be able to get out and make things happen for you in the running game. Um, lots of stuff to work on. Um, lots of stuff to work on. I know we, we talked about this personally um, throughout today whilst I was doing his evaluation I, I sent over a couple of clips um, to you Ian, while I was doing it shorter arm you know we talk about requisite numbers 33 inch arms is the you know this almost a comical number that's talked about but we do know that it's NFL teams that really do bow down to these thresholds for offensive tackles so he, he comes in under that with 32 and a quarter inch arms that does have its obvious um, impact on his game on tape he is prone to lunging therefore prone to being unbalanced he's prone to um quicker more powerful longer defensive um ends and, and pass rushes getting into his chest first and causing him all sorts of problems um so there, there's a lot to work on from a from a technical standpoint um, and a pass protection standpoint you're looking at a kid who's almost relatively inexperienced however didn't switch to the offensive line until his um, senior year of high school, played hardly any college football for the first four years. So he's still got that upside. The athletic upside is going to be enticing, I think, for a team who are looking at a kid who could potentially be a swing tackle in the NFL. I don't think he's going to be a starting NFL draft offensive tackle, in all honesty. But I think he's got that ability to come in and be a, a decent backup at left tackle and right tackle, not be a liability to, and like I said before, a run run heavy um, NFL team, get him in there and, and just let your running back run behind him. And uh, for, the, for exceptional yardage gain, you look at Arizona State in 2020, led the Pac-12 by country mile, seventh nationally with 264.2 rushing yards per game. That's the sort of influence that, that a guy like Kellen Deese can possibly have on an NFL offense. Now is that a is that a Deesh stat or a Rashad White stat? I know I'm I'm pandering to a Rashad White truther here, so yeah, I just want to. So yeah, yeah couldn't, poss couldn't possibly comment in. <laughs> it's a conflict of interest. That's that's was, that's, yeah. the, I'm that's trying the to remain, truth. Right I'm trying to remain subjective. I'm trying to keep my Rashad White <laughs> love at uh, an all time low level. No, but you, you, I, I saw it at the I saw it at the Shrine Bowl. You know, there was a couple of times where he really opened up some some big running lanes. Um, and that's, you know, it's apparent on his tape. It was apparent at the Shrine Bowl. The athleticism obviously jumps out with the numbers from the combine. So there might have been some Rashad White in it, but there was a small <laughs> bit of Kellen Deesh in it as well. Yeah, yeah. The 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 sticking point is going to be the arm length, right? And I know we, yeah, we talked sure. about that, but like every NFL team, I feel like, or probably at least most of them, again, I don't have an inside scoop on, you know, who prefers what, but we do know there are arm length preferences around the league. And, and, especially the, and the, thing, yeah. the, the thing with it as well is it's not just, uh, oh, his arm length is this, so he's out. You know, if the arm length is such, but it doesn't show up on tape, but if he can mitigate that on tape, that's not such a big issue. There's there's clear issues related to the arm length when you watch Kellen Deesh's tape. 
Yeah. And like people ask, like, why does it matter? Like, obviously, you're not going to rule out a guy because of it. Like Aiden Hutchinson, his arms are pretty short for an edge rusher. Right. But we're not going to rule him out. It's definitely something to take into account. But it's not something that I would take him off my board entirely for. Other teams may be different. You never know. Everyone has a different philosophy with how they go about this stuff. But it is something you have to take into account. And you ask how it, people will ask how it matters. You know, I just physically, you know, going off of physics, right? Like I like to, the analogy I like to use is if you're using a hammer, right? If you want to get the most power out of it, you hold it at the bottom. So you've got the most length on that hammer. You can just swing it down and that's how you get the more power. If you want to, you know, be more controlled, but less power, that's when you choke it up toward the, the hammer head, right? So I think with arm length, it's like if you got longer arms, you have better conduits for power whether you're punching, whether you're clubbing, especially if you're an edge rusher, you see it. Like those guys with long arms, Trayvon Walker is a great example. This dude can blast guys back. It was, you know, it just like, it's just who he is because he's got like 35 and a half inch arms. Now, obviously he does have some natural power capacity, but it, it really helps with that. And conversely, if you have shorter arms, then it's not going to completely negate your power output, but it is going to limit it a little bit, you know, you know, not to the point where it's a liability, uh, and especially with Aiden Hutchinson, we've, we've seen that Hutchinson can still generate good speed to power without long arms, right? So it's not like it, it's not like something you have to have. But guys with longer arms do naturally have more power capacity. And kind of going off of that, too, if you have longer arms, you can reach the contact point sooner. Like if you're a guy like Kellen Deesh uh, going up against a guy with 34-inch arms, that guy with the 34-inch arms, obviously, it, it's two inches. It doesn't seem like a lot but he can get inside your torso before you can get hands on him. And then right then, he's got control of the rep. He can walk you back, right? So it's one of those things. Football is a game of inches. So you got to take these little things into account because they do make a difference at the end of the day. Uh, it's really interesting to see how it all comes together, Ali, but it, it you do have to take everything in, especially if you're a draft analyst. There's not, a, there's not really an inkling of information that you can take for granted because it, it all it all adds up to something in the grand scheme of things uh, when you're looking at the full puzzle, at least. I think that's a great way to end the podcast. All that, every every inch adds up to everything, or every inch adds up to something. I can't remember exactly what you said now. But let me try. Let me try and word it, sounded, it more. It sounded really great when you said it. When I tried to copy it, I just made a mess of it. Let me try and word it more eloquently. To oh no, up. you you worded it eloquently. It was me trying to regurgitate it. Yeah, and you've you've already it. ruined it. So thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but for real, for real. I mean, yeah, I think we can leave it off there. Uh, we've been we've used up our time allotment here. So thank you everyone for listening. As always, talking about you know draft philosophy uh, for a good portion of that, and also talking about some guys that caught our eyes in the previous week. Obviously, you know every podcast we're going to try and hit you with uh, some prospects that we watched that kind of caught our eye because we are always watching tape. That's just how it is. If you're in this business, you have to. You got to stay up to date with it. You got to know what you're talking about, and we try our best uh, to to hit that standard. So thank you, everyone, for listening, as always. Uh, again, I mean, we got a ton of content coming out. Ollie just wrote three scouting reports today. I got to pick up the slack there. I still got a few on the queue that I got to get down the conveyor belt. Uh, but aside from that, we've got draft projection pieces. We've got pro day previews. We've got mock drafts coming in every other day uh, with that stuff to explore more probabilities. Uh, we got the Draft Insiders podcast uh, once a week, and then we're obviously coming back on Thursday. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot going on. It is a busy season. But again, as we said at the beginning, it's what we live for. So thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, peace out. Have a good one.